You're listening to Marketplace Ministry, a podcast for Christian entrepreneurs that looks at business through a biblical lens. Your business is a calling, and when you do it according to God's principles, it is an act of worship and brings glory and honor to Him. Let's get into the show. This is Marketplace Ministry, a podcast for kingdom-minded entrepreneurs that looks at business through a biblical lens. My name's Jason Smith. Good afternoon, everyone, or whatever time that you're listening to this. This is Justin Jeffcoat. On today's show, we are going to do something a little bit different for you today. We are going to let the Holy Spirit guide the conversation. And we're just going to share a little bit of our experiences, our personal testimonies, some things that we've never shared before. And we hope that you will find great value in this. All right, so buckle your seatbelts and get ready for episode one of season three of Marketplace Ministry. First Kings chapter 17, it says, Elijah proclaims a drought. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Mm. At whose word? At Elijah's word. So Elijah is standing up and he is powerfully proclaiming that there is going to be a drought in the land. Yeah. And that drought, obviously, when there's not enough rain, rivers are going to recede. There's not going to be water to water the earth. And if there's no water, then there's not going to be any crops. And if there's no crops, then there's going to be a famine. Yeah. And so we kind of are seeing that today because let's back this up. Two years ago, we were in the middle of a pandemic. And the government we was, <laughs> and the government said we need to shut down every non-essential business. So a lot of businesses were shutting down, and because they were shutting down, there were factories that were laying off workers, mm-hmm. letting people go. So now the production of our goods and services that were available went way down. We didn't have enough people in the transportation industry to get goods from the one part of the supply chain to the end of the supply chain so yeah. we'd be able to go into stores and purchase. Shelves were bare. You couldn't buy toilet paper. You couldn't buy bread. You couldn't buy milk for a season. And so there was not enough production happening during that pandemic. And so then people started going back to work. And when people started going back to work, now we had this huge demand for all of these goods and services but we didn't have the product to back it up. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing that happened with gas. Why are gas prices so high right now? They cut production on on oil because there was no demand. Everybody was staying home. Nobody was driving to work every day. And so because there was no consumption of gasoline, we saw gas prices go way, way down. Yeah. While Trump was still in office, but because of the pandemic... And then as soon as people started going back to work... It just skyrocketed. It went up. And we're starting to see... And it's it's been this past month, and it's going to continue for the next couple months, according to what I read last night, is that gas prices are projected to continue to decrease about 10 to 15 oh, wow. cents per week into mid-August. So we might get to a point where the national average price of gas is down to three ninety nine a gallon... What I've seen, as I was telling you at the beginning before we, we started recording, is people, when 
when it was the the gas prices were going up, people were started to sell their cars because of the fear, because of the anxiety, because of the oppression that the Antichrist spirit is starting mm. to take over the world. That's it. And all this is because because let's back up. 2020, the fear, the control with the COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 is a very weird thing, but when you look at it spiritually, all it was, it started with the control. What can we get away with? What can we try to fool over on people's eyes? But through that mist, what happened? A revival. There's more revivals going on today so we can kick that demon devil stomping right in the face because there's more of an awakening in, and so many more people are getting saved today than there ever has been. There's if you everywhere you go. So I travel for work mm -hmm. and I'm driving up to Columbus. I counted five or more churches with revival, revival, revival. Never been done before because right now the Lord is putting something in, in us to go out and spread his good news more than ever. Mm. And now, because you can see now the Antichrist spirit, okay, now we that's passed. Well, let's try to put oppression on everybody. Let's, let's, uh, Take a, let's get these gas prices up. And a lot of it is, is you can see, is putting that fear in people. But guess what? We serve a God that is above everything else. And when we obey and we go after and we listen and we go out and spread those good news, we can reassure in people that, hey, this, ignore it all. This is not, uh, what's happening in this world is only temporary. Amen. You know, I heard another podcast th this past week okay. talk about, is this the end of the world? <laughs> you know, and and he went on to say that he was born just before Jimmy Carter went into office. And so throughout his lifetime, he has lived through different types of trials. You know, we, we've seen, if I was born in the 80s, so there wasn't a whole lot that I experienced in the 80s. I think we had... 90s with me, we, you know. We had, we had Reagan. I think there was the Cold War happening during the yeah. 80s. Um, then we went into, right around when I was in first and second grade, we had the Gulf War conflict in, yeah. in the Middle East. He was going on about how he had seen all these different things with recessions and and depressions and all these things that happened and conflicts. And we all thought at those times, that's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. And the message that he was talking about really is that if you can push past that fear mm -hmm. and you can get to the other side of that fear, then you will see that there is a greater opportunity awaiting you Yes, on the other side. So let's stop talking about all this inflation and recession. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But that means you need to take you need to take stock of what you're doing in your life, and you need to make preparations for that. I agree. Yeah. And so that means getting on a budget. If you're not on a budget, mm -hmm. you have to budget. And people are like, "Well, how do you budget with inflation and the grocery price crisis? <laughs> our, our grocery prices are going up every week, and I don't, and I my my income's not going up, but my expenses are going up. How do you budget? You put your money on paper, and you spend it on paper before the month begins, and you p put it on paper, on purpose, and then you follow it. And yeah, there's going to be some fluctuations. But as you do this, you're going to learn how to tweak it so that it fits 
what you're doing. Sometimes that means you're going to have to cut back on your That's lifestyle. That's what I was about to say. You got to give up. Uh, right, so right now, Janie and I are with our budgeting now as well as has never been more on track. And you want to know why I figured it out with the Holy Ghost uh, helping me along this journey. It's because I wasn't in line with my wife's spirit. When you're, mm. listen, when you're a married couple, I know this is kind of off the cuff here, but it's, it's something, you know, going to the budgeting standpoint. Um, if you, if you're not in line, you're married and you're not, and you're, you're stressed about money. Cause a lot of the number one things in marriages, you know, especially, you know, especially with that is your budgeting. It's, it's, uh, it's payments. And my wife and I were having several disagreements on the budgeting until we both stopped and like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and we started to pray and and discern what was going on. It's because I wasn't in line with what my wife was wanting to do. I wasn't leading the, I wasn't taking the lead. We just had a, a few weeks ago, we just had a, a men's conference about ta- being the prince and taking that lead. And doing a lot of praying. I wasn't being the man and taking the lead in my, my marriage. And through that, there was so many disagreements. Money was off wire. We couldn't say the saber alive. I didn't want to hear when my wife wanted to sit down. And, and I talk about this very boldly now because why? Because God delivered me from it and helped me show me where my weakness was to help me grow strength mm. and, and to cut the prune, to prune that, that part of sin was in my life is no longer there because of where I submitted and able to receive the correction that was given to me by my peers and my pastor and the Holy ghost. And we were everywhere. And then I was like, okay, let's do this. No more. And so we sit down, we sat down, worked through the budget. Of course, that flesh, that carnal man's like, man, I don't want to give that up. I don't give it. Guess what? Give it up. Because let me tell you, when you sit down and get rid of the things you don't want to do, you realize how much money you're going to have, especially during times just like this. And when you're the man and be like, okay, I'm either going to have to take the lead or not be the man at all. Because you know what I mean? It's one way. God commanded one way for the man to take the lead and, and then the wife will follow. Just like uh, working out. My wife and I, we talked about it with years. And now we're both in the gym. And I, you know, where I was screwing up, Jason, I didn't have, I was telling my wife, oh, you got to get in the gym, you get in the gym. But what was I doing? I wasn't eating healthy. I was, I was walking the talk, walking the walk, but not doing the talk, you know, putting mm. the act in the motion. Yeah, yeah. That's not taking the lead. That's being a wimp. And that's who, that's who I was as a man. I was not taking the lead on that. Oh, wow. And so I know this is really off the cuff, but it's just got really heavy on my heart. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I, I'm sure I'm helping someone because the Holy Spirit wouldn't be just having this come out of me for no reason. And I was like, all right, let's do this together because I need it. It's either we're going to do this together. We're going to lose weight together. This ain't it, out for a long time. I had a one way street, brother. And that's the, that's the wrong way to go. And it's not, it's very unbiblical. Yeah. And I even have a testimony. I'll get to that. But we started to get in the gym together. We pushed each other together. We come home. We're like, okay, let's get rid of all this stuff together. Okay. Now we started to get a little bit in line. Now 
I'm, I feel so great. My wife has lost over 20-something pounds. One, because I didn't point a finger rather than put my arm around her as in Jesus would want us to do and push each other as a husband and a wife. And then with the money, I had to suck up my own carnal ways. Stop on that. Curse that out of my house. Yeah. And say, all right, let's do this budget together rather than, babe, can you figure out the budget and let me know what we have for the week? That is a weakling way of thinking. I'm just going to tell you, and I'm I'm throwing myself and beating myself up because that's who I was. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. And so my wife and I would do the budget together. This is what we have. Okay, let's send me the budget. Let's go through it. And then when I, let's say I'm at work or in a meeting, she sends me the budget. Okay, well, what do you think about this? How much do we have for this? Now that I've submitted that and threw away that old man thinking and took the lead, now we are, we, we are growing more than we ever have as far as budgeting and it's it is literally the last thing we would ever bicker about now it's who gets the remote and are we watching hallmark tonight (laughs) you know what i mean recently in america there was a prominent preacher that came out and said that the tithe was unbiblical oh my gosh and when i heard that i would have flipped i was like oh my god no 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 so what it let's talk about the tithe for a minute. Okay. Because there's going to be a lot of confusion in America around tithing because of this pastor. He's a prominent pastor. Like a big pastor? Oh yes, and I'm not going to say his name. No, no, no. Because it's I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Exactly. You know yeah, don't do that. He might be in error. He might be correct. But the way I read it in the Bible, if we go to Malachi chapter 3, yeah. verse 6. Ooh. And it says here for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances mm. and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way? Shall we return? The very next verse, God answers with a question. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Yes. In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So let's back up. God said, I will return to you if you return to me. In what way should you return? Right there, clear tithes and offerings. Come on, bro. So he's saying that if you want my blessing in your life, then you're going to return to me. You're going to return to the ordinances that I established, and you're going to follow that. And, yes. And one way you do that is with tithes and offerings. But people will say tithing isn't in the New Testament. Tithing is only oh, shut the front tithing door. Tithing is old covenant. And if you if you really want to get to the covenant, the covenant wasn't given until Moses, right? So yeah. Moses is where God spoke God spoke to Moses and gave the 10 commandments, gave all the instructions for how the Israelites were supposed to live, gave them the law. But tithing was before the law. Tithing happened way back in Genesis. Yeah, at the very beginning. <laughs> and in Genesis, it says in chapter 14 verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. 
And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing Come on, bro. from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Tithing, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And in Hebrews, we find out that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In essence, Melchizedek here could have very well been Jesus mm. or a shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament. Right. And by him saying, oh, no, you keep you keep some of that for yourself. That was a test to see if Abram was going to be faithful. Now, we can go even further back into Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and we can find out that after God made Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the garden, and they they had the freedom to eat of any tree they wanted except for the tree that was in the midst of the garden. The tree of Sounds the knowledge. Sounds like a pretty clear dire- direction to me. The tree <laughs> of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. In essence, that one tree represents the tithe. They were given everything else freely. They were just commanded not to touch that the tithe. One. Yes. Right. Come we on, don't bro. Touch the holy tithe because it is holy. It's holy unto the Lord. Now, we also know in Proverbs, Proverbs tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yeah. That means God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. Everything belongs to him. Mm. You go to work. You run a business. The income that you produce in your life from what you are doing with the gifts and talents that God put into you, that income, guess what? It's not yours. Correct. It's God's. God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He gives us everything. He entrusts it to us. Now, the government doesn't trust us. That's why they take their cut off the top. <laughs> but could you imagine if, if they didn't take the cut off the top? If you were to actually go to a tax booth after you got your check and you had to pay these jokers wow. your tax? You would be just as furious about paying taxes exactly. as you were about paying the tithe. Exactly, dude. So... Tithing is for today. Agreed. And it's only 10% of your income. And that is what God requires. He requires the tithe because that tithe is representative of the covenant he has with you. And if you break that covenant, if you eat the tithe or you use the tithe for something else, you've just misappropriated God's money, not your money. Exactly. And you've used it frivolously not that there's anything wrong with enjoying your money because that's when you're on a budget you give you save you spend there's three things that you can do with money give save spend and when you give that's off the top you pay your tithe and you what is what does corinthians tell us corinthians tells us that you give not out of compulsion not because somebody's trying to get money out of you 
You give because you've purposed it in your heart. What does it mean to purpose it in your heart? It means you've written it down on a budget. You're like, I'm going to budget to give this much money this month to this ministry. How hard is that? You've already decided beforehand. So then when the preacher gets up and says, hey, we're having a special offering for such and such ministry. Oh, that's the ministry I was going to give to. You can give because you've budgeted for it. Yeah. And if, it, if something comes up that's a special offering that's not in your budget, that's when you go back with your spouse and you get on the same page and say, hey, honey, what can we cut? What can we take out of these other line items and we can do without this month so that we can support this ministry? But that's still coming back together and purposing in your heart to give that. It's not just being compelled to do it because that's not how the kingdom works. And any preacher that tells you, if you give $100 today, you're going to be healed, they're out of order. That, yeah. that is biblically out Way of order. out of order. We, we saw that with... Simon, the sorcerer, when he was trying to buy the anointing of God. So here's the account of Simon, the sorcerer. It's in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received word from God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Mm. Holy Spirit. And when Simon, who's a sorcerer, saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages and to the Samaritans. So here we have the sorcerer Simon, who was in Samaria, and he sees this power of God that nobody had known about until, until the upper room, until the day of Pentecost, when Jesus sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now he's experiencing this, and he's probably thinking to himself, you know, I can do magic. I can do sorcery. I can do all these things, but I've never done anything like (laughs) that. And he recognized that there was a power that was more powerful than what he could do in his own ability, that he wanted to go buy it for himself. Yeah. God cannot be bought. No, he can't. He's a free gift. Yes, he is. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. So it's a free gift that you can freely receive. You just have to accept him, accept him, believe in your heart and, and get rid of your selfish ways and pick up your cross and sin no more. Exactly. Follow him. Exactly. That's all you have to do. But in one thing, thank you, Holy Spirit. One thing that just popped in my head so many times though and thoughts like this 
I'm not innocent in this matter either. So many times people backfall or they slide and they're they're on fire, they're on fire. All of a sudden they fall one time or you know, or you slip and you fall. They think that's it. Oh, it's over with. I'm done. I can't I can't do it no more. I fell. I failed God. What what's the purpose now? That's all lies from the pit of hell. Don't ever believe that. Amen. Let's talk about that. Failure. Okay. Failure. Everybody, okay. you know, when I grew up and I was going through school, I got straight A's all through third okay, grade. Okay, Jason, good all job. All through third grade, right? And when I became, when I got into fourth grade, it went, <laughs> that's when, that's when grades little, started little. slipping because I started having homework. <laughs> and I didn't like doing homework. Yeah. I preferred to come I, home I after school, play video games, go outside, play with my friends. I didn't want to take right. schoolwork home. How many of you are taking work home with you every day? Be honest. <laughs> no. Leave work at work and come home and be with your family. Yes. Right? So there, I don't think there was anything wrong with what I was doing now in retrospect, almost 30 some years later, but I didn't like it. And if kids are smart enough to realize that you should do your work when you're at work, then why aren't we smart enough to Ooh. realize that we should do our work when we're at work? You know, I recently heard that um, in a 40-hour work week, in an eight-hour shift, most people only work two and a half hours out of an eight-hour shift. Really? So what are you doing the other six and a half hours? Wow. What are you doing? You're gossiping with your coworkers. You're catching up on what they're doing every day. What's you're going on, on Facebook. You're on Facebook. <laughs> you're, you're surfing the internet. What are you doing? You're not actually being productive at your job. And so that means because you're not being productive, you have to take your work home so that you now have to check your phone because your boss is going to be texting you at 9 o'clock at night. and wants Where's to know, it at? Hey, where's this? Did you do this? Da, 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 da. No, you need to have boundaries in your life. And one way that you have those boundaries is you clock in at this time, you clock out at this time, you work between those times. And when you're done, you're done. You're done. Because one thing my mentor, uh, Albert Zito, uh, even said to me many years, it was right when I became a manager, when I finally learned what the, the stress, now I curse it now in Jesus' name, of what it's like to be a manager is a couple of times I was actually taking it home mm. and oh, Janie and I would disagree and stuff, but, and I even brought it to him and it's like, dude, this is what he goes. He goes, what are you doing? Haven't I, haven't I taught you anything? I'm like, what do you mean Z? He goes, when you're at work and he said this, I'll never forget it. It was years ago. He says, when you're at work, you are hustling. You are giving 150% because when you go home and you tap that door, the open it, unlock it, it's over. Mm -hmm. It's done. It's finished. That's, and then you go home because if you take that home with you, you're going to argue. You're just going to drive wedges between your marriages. It's exactly what he told me. And it and it did a few times until I finally learned. Now you will never ever see me take that home now because I learned. Mm -hmm. And now, especially now that I'm saved, then I was definitely not saved then. But now that I'm definitely saved, God really has helped me. And now at work, I uh, my I have my book bag, I have my Bible, my devotional. I take that with me. So when I'm not busy or between meetings, I'll pull that out and get kind of just talk to God, get into the Word. So. 
and kind of learn, you know, what he's want me to learn or, or just kind of connect and just talk with him, you know, as well as I do my tasks. But once you shut the light off at the office, you drive home, talk to your wife. And when you put your hand on that doorknob to open it, it's over. Hmm. Done. No matter what you got going on. And if he's, Zito also said, even if you are going in argument, you didn't give 110%. You gave 50%. Because if you're coming in, arguing with your wife about the day, whether it be a good, bad day in between, you did something wrong. You didn't give it all, and you messed up. That's when you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, why didn't I give that other 50%? Mm -hmm. what, came, what drove the wedge to not get that done? Because obviously the spirit, a bad spirit wanted to come and drive a wedge between your merit, your, your, you and your wife to try to create turmoil or friction and screw your life up because he wanted, that's what the enemy does. He seeks, kills, and destroys. Why not do it at your workplace? Yeah. And then when you go home at night, right? Exactly. And how many entrepreneurs, they, they are running their business or instead of working on their business, they're working in their business. Mm. And so they're constantly coming home and they can't sleep at night because they have all of these thoughts they're that are going at throughout the, the day. Because th their brain does, doesn't shut, shut off. off. You know, I've had the greatest peace in my life since I was let go from Panera Bread a couple of years ago in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> you would think that that would keep me up at night. I can sleep at night. Nothing bothers me. I'm not afraid of anything. Man, let me tell you. And there's been a couple times, too, where uh, a while back... I thought I was sleeping. Like, it was weird, man. I know it had to be in a spiritual attack, Jason, on, on me because I would close my eyes and think I'm sleeping, but my brain was constantly going, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't sleep. Yeah. I would wake up. My eyes would be throbbing. My head would be throbbing because it was stressed and, and, and tired. Until you, you know what I did one night? and I talked with Pastor about it, is I went home and had my wife lay hands on me. Mm. Because the one person, my wife is just as anointed to speak over me as Pastor or anyone is, and God gave a husband and wife that anointing for each other yeah. when they're battling. Not enough husband and wives pray over each other today as it is. And you have to slow down and realize that. So I had... My wife lay hands on me, and I felt an intense pressure leave mm. that night. That's powerful, and it stirs something up in me. It's a story I've never shared with anybody outside my family oh, before. Wow. Um, because you, you mentioned your wife praying over you because you were having trouble sleeping and going to sleep at night, and so that's powerful. But there was a time when I was a lot younger— I liked watching scary movies, and one movie in particular that I was interested in was um, the Resident Evil oh, series. Yeah? Okay, and I can't remember which one it was, but there was there was a film that we watched together, and because we couldn't filter out the cuss words on this one, we watched the movie on mute. Oh wow! With the captions, so we could read it. Okay. Now, if you've never, I mean, it's one thing to watch a scary movie and have all of the music that kind of creates the tension and the emotion. But when you're sitting in a dark room with 
no sound. It's absolutely quiet. And you're just reading and Mm. watching these scenes on TV. It's a lot scarier. I don't know how to. I've never I done know, that. I don't know how to explain that to you, but it's a lot scarier because you you can't hear, so the the music's not there to to cue you yeah. into what's coming. You just you're seeing as as it's happening, and you're reading the text and everything. And then I think on this particular Resident Evil, the zombies had mutated, and so their heads opened up, and they, <laughs> it was weird. But anyway, watching that series. Or that movie, that night we went to bed. My wife was pregnant with Josiah. That's my firstborn. He's now 11 today. But as we were sleeping that night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was having a panic attack. Oh, wow. I Out of nowhere? I couldn't explain it. My my heart was racing. There, like My blood pressure was high. Everything. It was ridiculous. Wow. I, How old were you? It's been... Well, he's 11 now, so I had to been 29. Oh, wow, Jason. 29. So, yeah, and at that time, I was like, whoa, okay. So I reached over, and I I touched my wife's belly. Uh Uh-huh. The moment I did, Josiah kicked. Whoa. Woke her up. And she could see that I was in quite a bit of distress. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And she began to pray. And after that, I went back to sleep and it was fine. But I made a decision the next morning. We are not watching any horror movies ever again. Because I had to, I had to and maybe this this might challenge some of you out there. You might be thinking, oh no, a horror movie, it's all make believe, it's nothing. I, I can watch it. But hey There's a spirit of fear that me, comes with that. Let me just say that we're Christians and God said that perfect love casts out all fear. So fear doesn't exist in God. So why do we feed ourselves Amen. things that'll produce fear in our life? If, yeah, if so many people are worried about fear. And I recently learned this, Jason, because there's been a couple scary movies that I watched. And I was talking, we were at the Wash's house. And Justin's wife, Tara, said, God has nothing to do with fear. And he took fear from us. So why will we watch something... That creates the spirit of fear. Does it make sense? Yeah, it doesn't. Absolutely you know? not. So we we don't watch horror. And even if it's a, a TV series that we watch, um, and they might have an element of zombies in it, I won't I won't watch it. I no, I won't touch it. Like that the new Doctor Strange movie? No, no. We watched it one time. Dude, that movie was so demonic. And, wow. And I don't know if you've seen it or anything like that. But, so we kind of went down a rabbit trail. We did. But, but let's let's get back on to where we were talking about uh, failure and how failure isn't final. You know, you, you we have a tendency to view failure, and when we view it that way, we f- we feel bad. We let it make us feel inadequate. You know, failure shouldn't produce that emotion. Failure is neither bad nor good. It is just negative feedback that tells you that what you attempted didn't work. Mm-hmm. Thomas Edison, when he invented the light bulb, had done over 9 
9,999 iterations before he got got it right. Yeah. And so when he was asked about what it was like to invent the light bulb, he said, I just found 9,999 9, ways that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yet today, in 2022, we're terrified to make a mistake because we think that if we make a mistake, people are going to look at us like we're incompetent oh, or wow. that we're bad or that we're horrible people because we made a mistake. No, take that for what it is. You, you learn from it and you move on. That's all you need to do. Failure is, to me, a perfect learning tool. Yes. You know, it's it's like a ha- it's like the hammer or a screwdriver. Such an easy tool to use when you're nailing things, screwing in things. But when you're a businessman, woman, entrepreneur, failure is the best equivalent to a hammer hitting a nail or your finger or or your finger <laughs> um it's it's a great tool to learn to no, it will teach you what not to do next time exactly but here's the kicker you must be open to the correction that you get from the failure to help you grow and your business and teach yourself you will blossom and you will uh, bloom away but if you get upset when someone corrects you or get or you correct yourself sometimes uh, that is not it you cannot be delusional you cannot want to grow from failure and be delusional it will never mix in between it will cause a tornado and you got to be open to that and not in a world of saying, oh, I can't do nothing wrong. Because when that mindset creates, it is toxic and it is poison. Mm-hmm. So learn from that. When you face failure, learn use it as your greatest tool. Because then you will see your business grow further because you learn from the mistake to correct what you did wrong last time. And you will not fail again and realize the correction isn't somebody coming down on correct you. yes it's, it's not yes, somebody yes, yes yes it's not somebody insulting your intelligence or trying to tell you how to do a job it's just information that helps to guide you in the direction you need to yeah, go. yeah absolutely so embrace embrace yeah good word don't embrace reject it. it don't push it off embrace it and when somebody corrects you thank you i appreciate that I'll take that into Don't consideration. Don't let it oppress you. Yes. It, it's not there to hurt your feelings. It's there to make you better. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode of Marketplace Ministry. We've been all over the place today. Yep. We but have. we're trusting that God showed up in this message today and that you were able to learn something from our experiences today and maybe something we shared ministered to your heart We'd love to hear about oh, that. Yeah. You you can send us a message at 502-833-6136. That's a text message. You can text us there and let us know what you think about this show. What thoughts did we stir up in you? But not so much what we said, but what did God say to you? Correct. With what we said today. Because we were totally submitted to letting the Holy Spirit operate today. We went places that I never would have imagined that we would have gone today. <laughs> and I just know that it's because the Holy Spirit was leading us 
through the scriptures today and through our experiences to share that with you. So be sure to send us a text message at 502-833-6136 so that we can hear your feedback about this show, what you got out of it, and don't forget to share it with, with those who you think that it will have an impact on. So until next time, we call you to prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. We hope today's message inspired you and ministered to you. Let us know if it did by joining the conversation. You can do that by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Clubhouse. All the details will be in the show notes. If we helped you today, please share this episode. Be sure to rate this podcast and leave us a review. When you do, it helps us know what content you find valuable so we can make more of it. Plus, it helps get this show in front of more listeners. So if you could leave us a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Continue to seek God first and serve his people well, and your business will prosper. In Jesus' name.